You are listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 58. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Laura Hockman. She is the medical matchmaker, and we talk about what it's like to try to find the right job, how that's the best way to prevent burnout. We also talk about being a physician entrepreneur, also a way we can exponentially affect change in the world and change medicine. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have a very special guest. This is Dr. Laura Hockman. She is the medical matchmaker. I, you know, we've been following each other for a little while online and I've been following her journey and I was absolutely fascinated with her idea of being a medical matchmaker. So she matches doctors with the right practice. And I think that she's got a lot of valuable insights. So I cannot wait to hear all of the things. So Dr. Hockman, welcome to the show. Yay. Thanks for having me. All right. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Like how did you become you know, going from family practice to the medical matchmaker, how did that happen? Yeah, I, I kind of joke that it fell into my lap like a sledgehammer. Um, I, I I was in a practice and was burnt out and was, you know, very disillusioned with how medicine was being practiced. And I left at one point for many reasons. But when I left, I left medicine entirely. I thought this is it. I am never going back. And then the perfect job fell in my lap and there was a lot of mind drama going on. What do I do? Do I take this job? Do I not take it as perfect, but it's still medicine. So I did take it. I decided, Hey, I'm going to give it a try. If it doesn't work out, I can always leave. Right. So, um, so I did, and it was just as good as I thought it was going to be. And I really, really loved it. I loved practicing medicine again. And that's kind of when I realized that I really actually love medicine. It's really just how we're practicing. That was not, um, not ideal. So in that company, I, I recruited a few physicians to join us in the company and they all also went from burnt out to really loving their jobs and their lives again, um, but there were so many physicians that I couldn't hire because, you know, there's one position per role. Um, but <clears throat> word spread that I was doing this in the community. And so some people asked for my help and I helped them. And oh my goodness, I spent so many hours on this, like many, 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 many hours. Like it became almost a full-time job just doing this one at a time. I didn't realize how much time it takes to do it. Um, and my husband came up with the idea and he says, you know, you're doing this, you're putting so many hours in, you should get paid for what you're doing. And I had that same physician mentality of no money's bad. I can't get paid, you know? Um, but you know, it was definitely a job. Um, but what I realized was I can have such a much greater impact by doing this than, by even being a physician, because if I can save physicians from leaving medicine, if I can save physicians from suicide, from all these things that are happening to us because of the very poor working conditions and helping doctors to find places where we can really enjoy practicing medicine again and really be able to practice according to our values, you know, that would be a huge impact for us as physicians, for our families, for our patients, for everyone. So I just decided to jump right in and jumped off the cliff and built the plane while I was on the way down. 
<laughs> Love it. And you had so many great points in there that a lot of misconceptions that we don't even know that we need to challenge. And the first is this idea of, you know, we're burned out. I have to leave medicine. You know, we don't ever consider the fact that the environment that we have found ourselves in is the problem, that we actually aren't the problem, that all of our years of, you know, deciding to become doctors, that's not the problem. And we just, have the you know blind luck of ending up somewhere that doesn't fit and we make it mean a whole lot and you know shoot ourselves in the foot and give up a lot that we've already worked for when it's possible you know just simply the fact that it might be possible there's a, a job out there that is going to give us everything that we want and we can have the things that we've wanted and worked for and imagined that it's actually out there yeah it's so true i see so many physicians contacting me for non-clinical roles um, but you know, a lot of physicians who feel unhappy and want to just jump ship and move, they end up moving to the exact same situation. So, you know, going from one large abusive system to another large abusive system and not really realizing how great other types of practice environments could be. I completely agree. And, you know, I, I coach a lot of people on this as well, is this idea of, is that before you leave your job, if you are having difficulty in your job you know, find a coach, challenge these limiting thoughts, because you will likely take those same problems and misconceptions with you to that next job. Until you really understand why your current job is a problem, then you're not going to know what to look for. Because, you know, it's all built on these limited thoughts, like, you know, I have to work for a big system, I have to be employed, or maybe private practice is the answer, or maybe all these things. And what we do is we search externally to solve our problems, but really it's challenging our own internal thoughts about ourselves and the job and our role in it. Um, and even challenging all these things that training has told us about what the job should be that's holding us back from finding the right place. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, there's so many, so many factors keeping us stuck and unhappy. And part of it is inside of ourselves. Part of it is the system. Part of it is what we'll put up with. And part of it is how we view the world. I mean, there's so many things that are just um, working against us that are very uh, easily in air quotes overcomable, but it's very, very possible to move forwards. And I especially love your idea, this idea of money and becoming an entrepreneur. And there are so many doctors that are becoming entrepreneurs. And it's interesting in some of these online spaces, even in these things where they talk about physician side gigs and things like that, how much judgment there is in physicians going into this role and I think that you said it best. The reason we go into these roles of entrepreneurship is that our ability to impact medicine is exponential in some of these roles that we find ourselves in. And so whereas as physicians, we can affect a certain number of people, sometimes we have to, you know, uh, transform into these different roles to we have an exponential effect. And I thought that you said that the best um, of, of why some of us are fitting into these roles um, and this is how we change medicine is not by doing the same thing we've been told to do, but really seeking inside what we're good at, where our interests lie and what our gift specifically is to the world. And how do we maximize that gift? Yeah, that's so true. I, you know, a lot of the physician entrepreneurs that I've met most, in fact, are doing some entrepreneurial journey with a very strong mission in mind. And I would say also most of us have had some sort of negative comments made towards us for 
doing this for, you know, doing something other than medicine, or especially if it's something for physicians, you know, how dare this doctor charge doctors money or how dare, you know, um, but, you know, in order to be able to do it, we have to be able to feed our families and make an income. And, and it's an interesting um, concept where, you know, there's so much of us where we say, know your worth and we're, you know, demanding very high salaries for positions. Um, and yet when other people are working for income, we feel very differently. I completely agree. And I get such a chuckle out of this too, because, you know, as a coach, people are like, why are you charging people for this? You should just do this for free. And I was like, so basically you would like me to coach people on getting their worth by demeaning mine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, you know, we, we all have to be able to straighten up our own mind about why we do the, the things that we do. And, you know, the belief in ourselves, the belief is that we know what is right for us. And you have to have the ability to filter people's responses and see if it challenges your belief. If you believe it so strongly, it honestly doesn't matter what people say. Um, and as an entrepreneur, that is, there's one thing that you have to overcome is the ability to say, this means something, this matters. And getting back to your story, what does it mean to you to be able to provide this medical matchmaking service? Oh my goodness. Well, I love physicians. I love doctors. Um, they're my people. Um, and it means a lot as far as helping us to take back medicine. Um, I, I hurt on the inside seeing what's happening to us as physicians and what's seeing, seeing what's happening to patients as a result of it. Um, and you know, if I can help physicians enjoy their lives, help their families enjoy their lives, or, you know, on the extreme end, maybe even prevent, prevent a suicide. Um, I think we've all known someone who's had a friend or colleague, or, you know, we all know someone who's committed suicide, um, because of feeling trapped. And, um, for me, that would just mean the world to be able to really have an impact on that part of our lives. And that's what mostly, you know, maybe reach out to you because I think your mission is such a unique and interesting one. It's so needed. So take us through the process of someone reaches out to you and first, how would they reach out to you? And then take us through the process of what they would find. Yeah. So people reach out to me in a variety of ways. Somehow some people find my email address. Some people go to my website. There's a contact form on there, um, which is www.happydayhealth.co. Um, some people find me on LinkedIn, um, all interesting ways people find me. Um, but yeah, so once I speak with someone, it's a process of figuring out what they don't like in their current practice, what they do like, what they're looking for, um, and moving forwards from there. So typically when people are looking for a job, um, there are practices that I work very closely with that I have vetted them. I feel confident that they will be good to their physicians. If the physician is looking for one of something along those lines, maybe, you know, pediatrics in Connecticut, well, I have a pediatrics practice in Connecticut that I can hook them up with. Um, if it's, if it's what they're looking for, of course, not every practice fits with every person. Um, but in that case, I would set them up with one of those practices. If I don't have a practice, I have um, networked with many recruiters. So I have access to their positions that interestingly, they don't actually post anywhere. Um, so I would help to get them set up with one of those people. And then once they have an interview set, typically I will coach them through the whole process. So we will go through 
uh, before the interview, we'll talk about what it is that's important to them, how to verbalize that into the in the interview, how to really evaluate with the practice um, if they'll get what they need out of the interview and the practice and making sure that they really ask the right questions um, and that they also will present themselves in the best way. Because there are certain ways that are good or bad in asking a certain question and a lot of the physicians will say, hey, I don't think I should ask this, but I really need to know X, Y, Z. And um, I mean, they that's a deal breaker. So you have to ask it. So we go through how to ask these questions that maybe are not the easiest questions to ask or, you know, if, if asked the wrong way, it would not look so good. So we go through a lot of that. And then after the interview, then we meet up again and talk about um, what they liked, what they didn't like, you know, next step moving forwards, all of that. Um, so I'll stay with them the whole process. Um, that's what it looks like for a physician looking for a job. So I tend to stay pretty close and make sure that they get what they need out of the whole, the whole process. And, you know, one thing you should clearly be charging for this because this <laughs> yeah. is your time and your effort and your expertise. And the, and the most important thing is like, you know, business is always an exchange of value for money. And the first is recognizing because a lot of us don't even recognize how valuable it is to be able to ask ourselves these questions and do the right interview and do all the right things that will get us the job that we want. And it may not always be the job that we think we want. You know, we want to have a good match for that. And so, you know, I'm so intrigued by this idea of you find the practices that will match with the person uh, because the thing that will save us the most time and effort and frustration is to get into the right environment which we may not even necessarily know about, especially, you know, coming out of residency and not exactly sure. And we may just look for the exact, you know, just, just kind of like we date our parents, you know, there's only people we know um, that kind of thing, but, you know, we all, we've looked for the job that we're only aware of um, rather than search through some of these things. So tell me a little bit about the um, practices that you've networked with. Um, you know, how do you learn about what they want in a practice or what the practice wants in a person? I spend a lot of time speaking with them. So typically I'll speak with them for about 30 minutes to an hour just to see if we're a good fit. And then from there, we, um, you know, if we decide to move forwards, then I'll send them a questionnaire with all these questions. Some of them are just black and white, like, what are you paying? What benefits? You know, all that sort of stuff. And some of it is a little bit more in depth. And then we meet again for about an hour and we go over all those questions um, about a little bit more detail about their practice, a little bit more detail about the kind of person that would thrive there. Um, and through all of that, I'm getting to know them and their personalities. So it makes it a lot easier to match someone personality wise, because I've spent that time with them um, and know their culture. So that once I speak with someone, I can say, oh my goodness, this physician is, you know, really caring or really sweet or very innovative or, you know, I've learned all these things about the physician without even needing to ask them things because I've been spending so much time with them. Um, so I, and then also through the process of, um, of interviewing, I get to know, I mean, I get to know them so well in the interviews and how they, how they interview. Um, they all have very different interview styles and how they negotiate and all of that, because mo a lot of deals don't fall through. A lot of physicians are interviewing multiple places at once and so a lot of times they'll get multiple offers and sometimes it falls through, but that whole process of negotiating for the physician with the practice is very eye-opening in a good way of how the practices are going to be for their physicians. 
I mean, if you think about what the service can offer a person, you know, the, both the person and the practice, like the amount of, like, you could probably cut down interviews by not going to places that, that aren't a good fit. You know, you could not even bother spending time or effort in places that you don't need to be spending time. And the same is true for the practice, because I forgot the exact estimate of how much it takes to recruit a physician, something crazy, like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to recruit a, a physician. Whereas if we had a little bit more of a sophisticated, you know, situation like you have, that that makes a lot more sense that we'd be a lot more successful getting people in the right place, which everybody really wants to just have the right people in the right place. Yeah, exactly. Now, what are some of the things that, um, some things that we should look for that you find that people are not like, what are the questions that people should be asking that they're not asking? So these are questions about, about culture. Um, most people come in with questions about what EMR do you use? How, how long do you have with patients? How many patients do you have to see? So it's all just kind of the day-to-day details. A lot of the questions people are not asking are about, you know, what are some challenges that they're having in the practice? What the long-term goals of the practice are? Um, you want to know what their plans are for filling you up. So, you know, do they have a plan for marketing you? Um, because very often you'll see physicians who don't, you know, who come in and they don't have patients and then they don't hit their RVU goals or their board or whatever, because they aren't marketed well. So you really want to know, and especially, this is especially important in, you know, a direct primary care practice that would be interviewing because oftentimes your income is very dependent on how many patients you can pull into the practice. So you want to know that they can market you. So you want to know that you want to know how you'll work as a team. So asking them, how do they, you can just straight up say, how would you see you and I working together? Um, You can ask them about what's your style for having difficult conversations. Do you, you know, do you tend to ask the questions and have the conversations or do you tend to avoid it and put it off? Um, A very important question is, and, and I like to word it in this way is if you could change one thing about this practice, what would it be? Um, because you'll get all sorts of things there. Um, another thing that I see very few physicians doing is speaking to other people in the practice. So you may interview with the medical director or, you know, maybe the CMO or whoever it is that you're interviewing with, but you want to speak with other people who are going to be in the same position as you, um, and when I've had that instance come up before the, um, you know, the physicians came back to me and they're like, okay, they all kind of hinted at, there were a lot of patients. There is a lot of charting. (laughs) So, so you really want to speak with the other physicians as well and find out, you know, do they have, tell us about your support staff? How much, how supported are you? What if something needs to change in the practice? There's so many, so many questions um, that need to be asked to find out more about how how you'll be as a physician and your autonomy and all of that. That's great. I mean, I completely agree. Um, what about the questions that the practice should be asking the person who's interviewing? Yeah, so most practices that I speak with are interested in someone who will be there in the long term. So, you know, I think it's also important to know the questions they should not be asking because they are (laughs) a lot of questions that are illegal that a lot of practices don't know. So you cannot ask a person where they live, if they plan on having kids, um, you know, anything that could even potentially give a hint of discrimination with how they answer it. Um, All those questions are illegal. So when asking about longevity, you can ask, I mean, I I realize this is not a 
perfect question, but the five or 10 year plan, um, you can ask what's your plan for the future. You can ask them, what are you looking for in a practice? Because if they come out and say, I'm looking for somewhere that I can settle down and be in forever, there's your answer without even needing to ask them their longevity. You want to be asking them um, how they get along with people in the practice. So, um, you know, obviously no one's going to go to an interview and say, well, I fight with all the medical assistants, but, you know, you can hear how they're, how they're speaking about it, not just what they're saying um, and get an idea of how they get along with people. Um, you can ask them their style for having difficult conversations. You can ask them about difficult patients that they've had and how they dealt with them or, um, you know, what are some, you can ask them, we plan to market you. We have a plan. What are some ideas that you would like to implement and just see what they come up with. If, if the physician is going to be, um, doing some marketing for themselves, like if they need to be going to practices, you want to know that they're comfortable doing that. So a lot of it is getting to know them, their personality. Um, and, but don't just ask questions about, you know, hobbies and other stuff like that. You want to know how they're going to be as a colleague. That's a great point of asking those, you know, real life questions and um, 100% agree with the illegal questions too. And there's actually a way to um, communicate messages to people who are interviewing um, without asking the question. So I did this, you know, with residents too. Um, you know, we're not allowed to ask them if they're going to have kids, but I would tell them, I was like, look at the picture of my kids on the wall. I just want you to know you could be a surgeon and have kids and it's okay. You know, so we can actually answer the questions that they may have and, you know, the it, rather than saying like how would you do with this it's like this is how we are dealing with this you know this is how we we would feel about this and you know like in our practice we value like the work-life balance and things like that too so we don't actually have to ask them if some of these questions that are really like um not actually okay to ask <laughs> yeah and that's huge because that's what they want to know they want to know about work-life balance and they want to know about uh, maternity leave and all of those things but they're afraid to ask it because they're afraid that it'll it'll affect their chances of getting the job. And in some cases, that may be true, and you really need to know that. So I think you know, as practices who want to get someone that is that they really like, is to start answering the questions that they can't ask, or you know, answering the the questions that they don't even know they're supposed to be asking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, we, you had a, and I had a great um, initial conversation about knowing your worth. And so what are some of the, like when we're looking for matching a person with a practice, where are the ways that some of these people go wrong, especially in the, the eyes of knowing your worth? Yes. So we put a lot of focus on money as physicians. We have, and I don't blame us. We have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. But a lot of times we'll have blinkers on and all we'll look at is the salary. So, or a starting salary, not even just the potential earnings with a position. So we'll look at salary only. And in that we may get stuck in a huge non-compete. We may get stuck in a place that doesn't treat us well, that will overwork us, that will look great and they will be great for the first year or two, but then we get stuck in those places. Um, and part of that goes back to the interviewing as well. When I think about knowing your worth, I think about a few things. Um, so the one is not just know your financial worth of being a physician and having gone through all these years of training, but what is your happiness worth? 
what is time with your family worth? What is um, your work-life balance worth? And I think of it as, um, as a, almost like a research study. So if someone were to give you um, $100,000 to participate in this research study, and all you have to do is for one year, just be super depressed, don't enjoy time with your kids, have bad sleep, and just like hate every single day, but we'll pay you $100,000 for it. So I don't know about you, and I would not enroll in that study. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> or, so, yeah, we'll pay you $100,000, but we'll trim off three years of your life. Exactly. So you just you'll die three years earlier. <laughs> you, know, you, you sign right here. <laughs> So, so I think knowing your worth is not just knowing what you're worth as a physician, but knowing what your happiness is worth, knowing yeah. what your, um, you know, not having burnout is worth to you. So, um, you know, I think of it in that way. And the other thing about knowing your worth is that physicians often don't understand how expensive it is to run a practice and what the hospitals are doing to pay those high salaries. Um, and so when physicians look at private practices that aren't paying and a lot of times doctors take it very personally or they see it as an insult when the private practices don't pay as much and some do for sure but a lot of times you know they don't have all the other dollars behind the things that they're doing um and and it's important to think about what it costs to run a practice the rent and the equipment and the medical assistance and and knowing your worth is also knowing what you're going to be bringing in. So if you're only going to be seeing 16 patients a day, not taking call, not working weekends, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but then it's important to understand, well, if you're bringing this revenue in and it costs this much to run the practice, then what is that worth? So a lot of those questions come up um, in all of the interviews and, and it may be that you want the highest paying job, but if that's, if that's the case, absolutely make sure you have a good exit strategy for sure. Oh, I completely agree. And um, I've mentioned this before. Um, I initially uh, had a job offer and it, it was clearly based on MGMA data. It was a private practice and they were, the hospital was going to front the money for MGMA data, but, you know, asking the health of the practice is like, what is the salary that I'm going to be expected or can expect to make based on what your current practice is after this guarantee is over. And it was a substantial difference. And it was, you know, just sheer luck that I asked the question in the first place. Um, but because I had no idea that, that the salary that they're offering me from the hospital is what I'm expected to make, that they would be giving me something that's equivalent to what I'm going to make. And it actually wasn't. It was based on MGMA data, not on the health of the practice. Um, and that saved me a substantial amount of money is asking that, that question. Yeah. You definitely don't want to work for a practice that is not financially sound. It is stressful for everyone involved. And a lot of the hospitals too, what you want to look at is what happens if you don't hit your RVU goals. Some of them will make you pay money back to them. They'll have you write a check and pay them back. And Michael Johnson um, with Physician Contracts um, had an episode a few uh, episodes ago talking about all of these things that we really need to look at, you know, the, there's so many details that we don't think about. And, you know, we get the starry eyes of this is going to be great. And I'll just accept whatever. And, you know, this sounds great, mostly. And, you know, we don't actually even think to ask some of these questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I now, think it's so important to ask about what the potential earning is, because it, it does change. 
And I liked your idea of not, you know, tying our value to what they give us, you know, not our worth to what they give us. And because, you know, you can't get mad at a practice who just can't give it to you. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we can mad all we want. But that's also true, but you know, the hospital as well. Like if we look at, you know, for hospitals to be competitive, to pay folks, I mean, we see this with like the traveling nurses, like they have to have nurses, so they pay them boatloads, but it's not sustainable. And the same would be true potentially for physicians is that understanding what is the market in that area? You know, what is the um, percentage of people that have like the low paying or no paying, um, you know, uninsured patients? And are they giving you a salary that they can't keep up with? So you may be do well for a couple of years in that employed position, but you will not in the long term. Um, and so really kind of paying attention to what these finances are each each month, like like are you meeting the RVU goals and are you getting actually the collections of this too? And we don't ask this as employed physicians because we feel like we don't have to, but, you know, really understanding the viability of even your employed practice, um, you know, don't look at those numbers by face value. You have to understand the numbers behind those to see if you have a sustainable job because these are the people that whose contracts aren't renewed. They're getting amendments and saying that we're going to pay you less. Um, but really, you know, being able to understand those kind of part parts are important. Yeah, exactly. So what is the um, the biggest mistake that you see people making um, now? Uh, like, what is the common theme that pe- the people have in making, like, in the interview? Oh, my goodness. The biggest mistake? Well, which one? <laughs> um, you can give a couple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the biggest one. And, and I counsel people against this. So um, my people typically don't make a whole lot of mistakes like these. Um, but is negotiating salary in the first interview just don't just don't even go there. Um, if you're working with me or if you're working with a recruiter, they should be doing that for you. They should be advocating for you and fighting for you to get what you're worth. <laughs> so um, so I, I've seen, you know, I've had physicians who just completely ignored my advice and they did a full, you know, well, the hospital's offering me this, so I should get paid that. And the physicians afterwards that I, the practice owners, all they can talk about with me as well. They wanted to get paid this. I'm like, but did you like them? You know, like, <laughs> well, all they were, you know, they told me this about the salary. And I'm like, okay, but as a person, did you like them? And all they talk about is this, you know, we can't give her the salary she's wanting. We can't support that. So, I mean, that is all that the practice owner will hear. So just don't even do it. Um, like I say, if you're working with me or a recruiter, not only will I advocate for you, but they should not even... Um, send you to an interview if your salary expectation is different from what the practice is able to give. Um, but that's that's probably a big one is negotiating before you even have the job. So, and I see that a lot is, you know, before you even get the offer, um, you know, pretty much saying, well, you know, what if they would pay me this? Or what if they would pay me that? Will you ask them this? And I'm like, no, no, we're not <laughs> going there yet. Decide what you want. When the time comes, I will give you an offer in line with what you want. But until then, <laughs> we're not going back and forth because you haven't even been offered the job yet. Um, so I see that a lot, like a lot. So people are not walking dollar signs. You must actually make sure you like the person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, other mistakes that I see uh, on the lines of salary is people will not even look at a job if it's not what they expect and they're missing out on some really really amazing positions um, with actually potential for getting a salary far higher than what that starting salary is. Um, 
Other mistakes that I see are not being well prepared with a tell me about you statement. You know, when people say, so tell me a little bit about you. Um, some people will either not know what to say and talk about their families or, um, you know, just may not hurt them, but it definitely won't help. Um, there are some people who'll talk for 45 minutes and then that's the end of the interview. So having a good tell me about yourself statement is helpful. Um, another one is not being prepared with those good questions like we spoke about earlier. So a lot of physicians will come in only with questions about um, about the day-to-day, -day, how long are visits, how much time do I get with the patient, what EMR do you use, you know, just kind of the day-to-day -day questions, but not the questions that really dig deep into not, you know, you want to figure out what it's going to be like to work for them mm -hmm. every day, not just how many patients you have to see, but what it'll be like. And I can see the value of course in, in coaching too, because a lot of us have not really sat and thought about our self-concept, like who are we and what do we have to offer? And I know, especially going to interviews, we're so afraid of what people are going to think that we are so internally focused is that we are not externally looking for some of these red flags that we would have, you know, had we felt um, okay with ourself, we would not be so worried about ourself and our perception of the, uh, that they have of us. And, you know, instead of like looking around, um, there's a great phrase that I learned in residency that's been very helpful is, you know, I used to walk into a room worrying about what people thought of me. Now I walk into a room worrying what I think about them. <laughs> <laughs> and I find this is one of the biggest mistake that people make in interviews is you're so worried um, that you're not seeing what's around when you really should be looking around. Yeah, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. Exactly. And it goes into this idea. And I know you've seen this as well. Like how competitive is it out there? Holy moly. It is so competitive. So I would say it's competitive for the practices, not necessarily the physicians. The, um, there is a gigantic shortage of physicians, absolutely monumental. And so it is very difficult for practices to attract their physicians. Um, and hence, please make sure that you keep your physicians because that's hard to find someone when, if someone leaves. Um, yeah, there's a huge amount. So physicians are just getting offers thrown at them willy nilly. I mean, it's, it's, there are more doc more positions than there are doctors. That's a great um, framework for us to keep in mind, because I know, you know, two things is the person that thinks that I can't do medicine anymore. Like I'm in the wrong place. There's plenty of places out there to go. And the second is, is that you don't have to settle for something that you're not sure about. You know, listen to those red flags. It's much better to take your time and find the right place than it is to go the wrong place because it's hard to leave a place that's hard. You know, Completely. it sets you up for all kinds of disastrous consequences of, you know, now you have this job where it was never a good fit. And then, you know, when we interact badly with other people, then we start showing up badly and it becomes like the self-fulfilling prophecy. And now it's even harder to find the job that we want because now we think it's us. Yeah. And it's such an interesting thing. So, you know, we do definitely want to make sure that we're in the right position, but then on the flip side, what I'll see is physicians really trying to make that perfect decision. We're perfectionists. And then completely overthink it. And then they'll miss out on an offer because they overanalyze and take too long. So it's just, it's, <laughs> it's really strange to see. Number one, you want to put the time and the thought into it. And number two, don't take too long because you might miss out. <laughs> so 
some point yeah like first you have decisions to make and the second is actually making the decision just make fun and sometimes you know what if you make the wrong decision that's okay just make sure that your contract is set so that you can leave I think that's oh, great great advice well are there any other things that you would want to let someone know who is looking for a job you know who's asking themselves you know what can I do how can I go about this oh my gosh just tell contact me let me help you <laughs> Perfect. And so how can they, they find you? Also, we haven't really even talked about this. I know that you have a really active YouTube channel and I meant to ask you like, what, what is the role of YouTube in your practice and in your business right now? I use YouTube as a way to educate physicians. So a lot of times the same questions come up. So I'll make videos about those. Um, it's still pretty new. I have about 40 videos up. I would love everyone to please go watch them, subscribe, like them, all of that. Um, but, you know, just today I had a physician um, who I was talking about, oh, make sure you write a thank you letter. And I went to my YouTube channel to say, here's a video on it and realized I don't have one, which is so strange because I talk about it all the time. So like, okay, I'm going to go make one. Um, so a, a lot of it is educating physicians on just the interview process, what questions to ask, a lot of the stuff we spoke about today. Um, and, and I really find it helpful as far as my business goes, you know, I'll have physicians who I speak with and they'll say to me, okay, so I watched your video on this. And I was kind of curious when I go to my interview, if I were to do something like that, and they can ask like a second order question instead of just that initial first order. So it's, pretty cool. Like I really like that. It's the people that, um, that need to be watching it are watching it. And, um, I, I love it. It's, it's a fun way of reaching people. And I want to go back to what you had said too, about like our ability to exponentially help people and, you know, things like these social media things and, um, our ways for us to exponentially take all the questions that we get asked all the time and put it to where it, it helps. So we take a little bit of our time and maximize the answers. And this is true for, uh, I know we talked to Bethany uh, Malone about her um, doing this on um, Instagram and TikTok, and you're doing the same thing, you know, with YouTube and Instagram and, and all the things of just like putting small pieces that answer that we want to know, and then maximizing the amount of time that you get, which exponentially changes our, um, our whatever effects in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Perfect. All right. So where can they find you? A few places. My website is www.happydayhealth.co. That's not.com. And I live on LinkedIn. I'm Laura Hockman, MD on LinkedIn. My YouTube channel is happy day health by Laura Hockman, MD. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and um, TikTok as happy day MD. Perfect. And so like for them to work with you, do they just reach out to you and send you a message? Yep. Just send me a message. And I'll get back to you. Perfect. Well, I thank you so much for, you know, creating this offer in the world and how important that is because I mean, the amount of burnout and suffering that you are preventing with this is just phenomenal. And it's people like you that really will change medicine is, you know, coming up with the ideas and the innovation and literally putting in the work. I, I heard this great description of entrepreneurs of, you know, we will put in 120 hours to avoid working 40 hours a week. You know? <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so true. <laughs> But it's, it's not for the faint of heart to have an idea and, and put it in fruition because everybody has ideas and you are actually putting into action. And so, I, you know, it's been a privilege to highlight your mission. And I think that it's so important. So I really, I hope nothing but success for you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right, Dr. Hogman, we will be catching up with you soon, I'm sure. 
Thanks. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.